Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. You are listening to a podcast by Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. If you enjoy Faith Over Breakfast, we encourage you to rate it on the Apple Podcast app, on Spotify, or Google Play. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Andy Littleton. I'm sitting with Eric Seepin. Uh, we are with Mission Church in Tucson and the Village Church in Tucson, respectively. And today we jumped in and uh, talked about The Closer by Dave Chappelle at first, and then we talked about a lot of other things, um, including uh, we did get back to gender. We talked a little bit about church and Christian school. And uh, deacons. And deacons. <laughs> it's and a compelling podcast. It's Hey, it, it really is. It is. Yes. It is. It's a. Uh, it's the true faith of a breakfast that f- that where we sat down and we began to talk and we talked about a whole lot of various things that are all very relevant to your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So enjoy. Yeah. So a couple couple things to note. Number one, we promise that if you were promised a book, which would mean a couple of you that we've promised books to, and Colleen will give you your book ah. so we got to pick a book for her uh yes yes oh right they will get to you um by the end of the year number two if you send us an email at faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com and you say hey talk about this thing we'll send you a book from our bookshelf that's all right. you gotta do is email us that's right and tell us what you want us to talk about and give us your address there it is. We will send you a book. It's only in the United States, so sorry, listeners Brazil, listeners Japan, listeners in Belgium, and all those other places. We aren't mailing out. We'll send you a book recommendation. <laughs> we can send you a book, <laughs> but we'd love to hear from you. So if you're in Brazil, hey, email us. Or in Europe, I know you listen. Email us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Those in Antarctica. Yes, Antarctica listeners. Yes, please reach I don't know if we have any, but hey, if you're there, send us an email. All right, here goes the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Check, 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 check. Hey, Eric. Hey, Andy. Good to see you. Yep. So um, I I watched uh, the Dave Chappelle special. I once believed that I watched it, but obviously when I re-watched it, I was disgusted and couldn't imagine that I watched it. <laughs> so, so you believed previously that you watched it, and now you're not sure you did watch it. I think I fast-forwarded through a lot of it. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I did that again. Okay. <laughs> because the opening joke was enough for me to be like, oh gosh, I, I, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. I I I legitimately afterward thought two things. First I thought he is a very talented comedian. And then I thought I need to pray before I go to bed. Yes. Because that was like there was a lot of really rough stuff in there so this is the the netflix his last one i guess for a while called the closer right and dave Chappelle is a comedian african-american comedian mm-hmm. who's gotten himself in a little bit of trouble with netflix oh well and i don't it, know if he got himself in trouble with netflix as right, much as transgender community and and i mean it's almost as if i don't think he got him i don't think he so having listened to the entire body of work last night, I don't think he accidentally got himself in trouble. I think he had a very specific thing he wanted to get across that he worked out throughout the time and he ended with it. Um, I mean, he, he had a very specific thing to say. And that thing to say was that I, it felt to me that he thought that the African-American argument for freedom had been supplanted by this movement. Yes. And this is an argument that was going on in the late or the early nineties when I was in, uh, 
college doing you right. know all this good kind of postmodern philosophy and intercultural uh well i was in cross-cultural social psychology was my major at the time so yeah i was right this this is something that was a serious conversation yeah yeah so how'd you experience it there that so so there's obviously the dave Chappelle edition um i i think that he did briefly suggest that the feminist movement might be being supplanted by it as well. Yes. Uh, But his big argument at the end was it really had to do with the, the African American community. That's how he landed it. Right. Yeah. And I, I I think that didn't get, isn't being discussed in the news. No. What's being discussed is what he said about uh, the transgender movement and the connection to JK Rowling, right? That's how you say her name. Yeah. Harry Potter author. Yeah, and I I I would say that the the special is clearly framed as one entire conversation and so as with all things we shouldn't take um we shouldn't piecemeal we we should look at the whole of what he was saying. Now, what the whole of what he's saying includes a lot of things that are extremely vulgar and um yeah, it's by no means a Christian argument. But if you want to understand what Dave Chappelle was trying to say, you can't do sound bites. You have to right. take the whole. Right. But anyway, so that was my, my takeaway was that he was trying to make an argument to show that, I mean, one of the most, one of the, he, he was saying, he said, you, you'll essentially take on the persona of an oppressed person until it's time to be white again. And then you'll use that to your advantage. And right. that was like, Ooh, you know, right. I mean, he had some strong things to say about race, um, and he was utilizing the LGBTQ movement to exhibit that the race movement, how just how far the race conversation has not gone. Um, so that was interesting. Right. Yeah, I... And I think that I agree with you. And and there's a whole bit about being gay that he, I mean, he's building this all together. Yeah. I I do think though, that if you just take his one little conversation that everybody's kind of up in arms in, it illustrates that because what he is saying Mm -hmm. is that he's taking what the author of Harry Potter said, is it Rowling's? Is that how you say her last name? J.K. Rowling. Yeah, J.K. Rowling's and saying, I mean, she basically said, that transgender men basically are usurping the feminist movement and, and undermining it. And so undermining women who are in, in a powerless position or, or unable to like saying that that's void. Like it's not, not an issue anymore. His summary of what she said was that the idea of gender is a fact. Um, and he, that was, that's yes. essentially his summary. And, Part of, I would assume, why she was saying that. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to admit right now, not as like th- not as up on her position. Um, but if you're going to take the feminist movement seriously, femininity has to be a fact. Right, it has to be a fact. If it's not actual, then the feminist movement becomes kind yes. of null and void. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he was, he was he, I mean, that's part of the building block of his whole argument. But that's where people are up, you know, up in arms, particularly at Netflix. The transgender people who are protesting or were protesting things. Yeah, I mean, he does. He does like simultaneously, and this is the whole, you know, what is what is a comedian allowed to make fun of conversation that right. I think actually Jerry Seinfeld engages a lot with in comedians and cars getting coffee. I think that's one of his subtle objectives is to talk through, you know, that the role of the comedian is that they get to make fun of, they should get to make fun of anything. Right. Um, that that is a critical piece of... Being a comedian. Of being a comedian and of argument. like, yeah. and of public discourse in a right. way. They're the kind of, they're what we have left of public profits, good right. and bad. Right. So if you say that a comedian can't make fun of X, Y, or Z, you've undermined the very idea uh, of the of the comedy of like what, what a comedy is for. 
right? So that, if I had to summarize Seinfeld, and that seems like Chappelle's after that too, because he, in he simultaneously says things like, "Look, I'm not, I don't, I'm not hateful, I'm not against," but then there are some like jokes about you know very very derogatory jokes toward that community. Um, seems like he's trying to aim them at. He'll, he'll aim at anybody yes. is kind of his thing, right? Right. Well, he says that uh, sometimes the mean thing is the funny thing, right? Oh, right. <laughs> so that's what he – and he's a comedian. Right. So that's uh, – I, I think – I mean, I, I would – I think the transgender movement, so gender fluidity movement has taken precedent over the African-American narrative. The gay – and lesbian narrative, it's 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 kind of supplanted both of those as oppressed people, the feminist movement. Right. Um, so, I, I think, yeah, I think this is a pushback on that. Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of th- there's there's a category of people in the world who we would call I would call older liberals, so Gen Xers right. and Boomers who are upset at these yeah. this new liberal movement and what it's doing to oppressed people, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's basically saying there's one oppressed person, and that's the person who is fluid in their gender. Yeah, or the most oppressed person is the person with the most categories checked. So yeah, if you're so we call it yeah. So if you're but if you're transgender, that is a major category. And yes. that, and that like a, a black male, for example, only checks one box right and there's the box checking but there's also just who controls the narrative right in the public square yeah yeah. i mean that's unless unless you know we're in a spot where black lives matters and there's protests going on their narrative is is not in the public square right um and that's pretty much the only way that the african-american community can become part of the narrative anymore in my mind is to jump in with that and be really loud mm-hmm. and and yell and protest right to remind people that oh we still live under some form of oppression right, um, right. i'm not saying it's right by any means i'm making a i'm just saying this is a reality that's how it, how it works yes. I, yeah like I, it or not this is the way it is i think you know when i've tried to discuss <laughs> such things over the past couple of years that's what i've been trying to help people process is not which is this like right or utterly biblical just i'm i am a pastor i am very concerned with what is biblical and right but also just to help people understand what is <laughs> why is this happening right you know um and then you can go about saying so what could the church do but um but yes that is what's happening right and i would just say <clears throat> excuse me to uh to go to reverse a little bit i would not recommend people watch this <laughs> Yeah, it um I I would I would say unless you are having conversations with non-Christian friends who are watching this and really it's powerful to them and they're in a conversation about yeah, it. Yeah, it's not it, I would I agree. I wouldn't say it's recommended watching unless I think there's there's a category of of person that if if kind of sexually explicit stuff is is tough for you just steer clear. Um and if uh if you if you think you could listen objectively to try to understand the argument so you can have a discussion with somebody, that's one thing. Um, but it's... Uh, it's not entertainment no. that you should be watching to be entertained. Right. Yeah, it's... And, it, and it's not even... I mean, it is comedy, but it's very clearly more, and it is, and it is extremely vulgar. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, be warned as we talk yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... I agree. Like I said, I was that I did laugh. He is funny. he's an he's an he's a he's funny and he's a master of delivery. Uh-huh. When it comes to like the the art of comedy, yeah. like master. Um but there were still there was a lot where I was like, "Oh, like I don't like that that thought is in my mind." Like I I could have done without that. So, yeah. All that. Watched it with my wife, which I think was good. 
Um, I mean, better than <laughs> my wife was in for like two minutes of it and she got up and left. Yeah. She's like, I, I can't listen to this. And I was like, I can't listen to this either. Yeah. yeah. This is just gross. I think my wife and I both had our moments of cringe and then our moments of going, Oh, that was funny. <laughs> you know, and, and like back and forth and then kind of at the end going, okay, that needs to be unpacked, but yeah. it was very late. So yeah. we <laughs> <Didn't unpack it. laughs> not really, it was like the, the 22nd unpack. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, but I think the thing that we probably want to talk about is, so what is this? What should we as followers of Jesus be thinking through as our culture kind of in some ways reacts to what he said? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, let's see, let's throw out some options that people might engage in. One would be people might say, as Christians, that was awesome. What would you say to somebody that was that was just like, he has such good points, that was awesome? I would say I couldn't watch that because it was disgusting. Yeah. That would be the first thing I would say. But then I would say, okay, let's take a look at what his points were and let's walk through it and think about it. Right. I, I think I would, I would be somewhere in the boat of going, you know, I know what you mean because it is there's something compelling about hearing somebody who seems to be not afraid. Um, but that was far from Christian. Like, there, he didn't, he wasn't claiming to be, um, and it was just so obviously not the way of Jesus, the way that right. he spoke. Even if he was right about a thing, um, like, please show me where Jesus took an approach like this. I mean, even in his, even in his harshest criticisms, not like this. And so it, uh, yeah, it, it was not, it does not exemplify the way that a Christian should speak, um, even about people who are, you know, wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that would be one option. Um, another option would be, this is what's wrong with the world. Like, like Dave Chappelle is what's wrong with the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, or his, his transphobia or, Oh, right. Like, he's, yeah. He's a typical Gen Xer. He, and to say like, he has no, there's no, nothing in there that was of, you know, this is just like, he should be right. Like he, he should be done. There should, we yeah. should never hear should his name again. Him. Yeah. We should, we should get rid of him. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, okay, a lot of this has to do with us going back and doing some work on the gospel, mm-hmm. um, because I think I was had a conversation with my wife, and we were this morning, or yesterday morning, so before I'd watched, I tried to review this again, um, and I was coming up with titles of articles and books that I would write if I had time. Yeah. And one of them was... Uh, how the church's position on gender has caused the transgender movement. Yeah, interesting. Um, huh. And then I, we were making jokes. It was the 10 ways the church has made <sighs> its approach to gender. That's, you know, yada, yada. And you won't believe number three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were coming up. But I, I do think our approach to understanding who we are as male and female historically and the way that we've worked that out within the church is part of the problem Mm -hmm. and part of why people are struggling right now is that we, what the church is given is rarely something that's attractive and rarely something that's compelling to what it means to be male and what it means to be female. And so I think we have in a world where there's a lot of confusion, we haven't given a lot of way into helping people understand who they are. Now, I could imagine somebody saying, and, and my head goes here too, like, does it matter that it's compelling or does it just need to be true? Um, and are uh, those mutually exclusive to you? No, actually, truth is always compelling because it's embodied in Jesus. So therefore, right. my gender and how I understand it is understood in Jesus and Jesus is compelling. Right. So therefore. What yeah. about, and what about the offensive side of Jesus? Uh, the offensive side of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. What I'm just about I'm it? just inviting further reflection. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, like, who usually gets offended by Jesus? The religious leaders. Yes. 
I've noticed this. It, so, it jumps when you read when you read the New Testament yeah. over and who's, over. Who's offended? Yeah. Not the prostitute. Yeah, she's not offended. It's the Pharisee. Jesus. It's the Pharisee. Yep. So usually, if internally the church is not offended, <laughs> and externally everyone else is, then probably we're in the wrong place. We're not following Jesus. I mean, there were probably a lot of people, if you were to say, like in the days that Jesus walked around, who just weren't. They, you know, a lot of people followed him. A lot didn't. A lot right. just didn't. weren't weren't compelled. But it seems like the the people who found him most um, compelling and attractive, uh, it was because of his grace. Um, and his, his gracious word, his forgiveness, um, and and he he doesn't seem to you know come at them. And there are statements, you know, go and sin no more. And Zacchaeus is going to um, you know repay everything, but they seem to happily do it in light of what they've been given, mm-hmm. um, rather than like feeling like oh man, what you know. And then, and then the the Pharisees who put heavy weights upon people, Jesus seems to just, yeah, he he offends them deeply, right? Yeah. So I guess you know, just historically, from fourth century on, the church, especially when it comes to understanding who you are as a woman, I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. They they were removed from any kind of leadership in church, and then you know you go to Augustine, who basically theologically we all go back to for some mm-hmm. reason. He he didn't believe women bore the image of God without a man, right. and you can trace that all the way through history. But then what you find is that men are put in a category, and this is what men do, and this is how men are, and this is what right. women are, and they're they're very difficult categories to fit into. And they and and, and they, I have noticed that they aren't necessarily as biblical as we've thought. No. Like such as like the man is the provider. I'm not real clear on where that comes from in the Bible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different things that we look yeah. at in these, and so it. So we aren't really in the conversation because we just keep talking about well, this is either like who you are in a diminished state or this is who you have to be to be a man or this is what makes you a woman, right. you know, and we're not talking. So the, the world's talking about other things. Yeah. And, and we're talking about uh, things that they just don't understand. And so I, I do believe that the, like our, we have nothing to say to Dave Chappelle. We have nothing to say about, I mean, when you go and look at how the Bible was used, by the African Americans during slavery and the white church, like they're two separate mm-hmm. ones justifying slavery and the other is seeing, you know, a narrative of freedom through Exodus and, and the hopefulness in their oppression right. that God's going to deliver them. And you've got the other people justifying their position um, because there's no real prohibitions against things right. in their minds. Right. Um, and so it's, so again, we're, we're, we're in the wrong place in the dialogue, I yeah. think in some ways. So we don't have a lot to say. Yeah. And that's, that's really disappointing to me because I actually think Jesus has a lot to say about these things. And so, you know, so when it comes to the whole transgender thing, like we're on this, what makes us male and what makes us female. Right. And that conversation is one that we should be having with people and how do you, you know, but we have to out ease our way in. We can't just come in like a hammer because we don't have a platform anymore. So if you were to, uh, if you were to add a couple of, of thoughts into what makes us male and female, where would you start? Well, I think we should end the podcast now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. So I, I think first, this may sound odd. I, I think we have to stop talking about some of it and we need to begin to invite people in to experience it. Sure. Because I do think it's not just talking points. Yeah. Because talking points are, yeah, I can, I can come with a gentle and kind way of helping people understand the fullness of bearing God's image as male or female. And we can look at Genesis and, and the beauty of the narrative there. And there's some just gorgeous things that go through the whole scriptures of what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man and how you yeah. reflect God's image. And those are good and they're interesting conversations and they're helpful at some level, but they're, but if you don't taste it, yeah, 
and then you're not gonna you're not gonna know it and so some of it is how do you find out what it means to be a man or a woman and you don't know that you follow you you, you go and you, you invite people to come be part of it and to see it and to taste it i'm trying to look at a recent um podcast that i listened to because it it kind of exhibited this a bit and i don't know how to use my phone yeah um let's see well while you're looking i mean i think that's the other part about the reason i would say the the church has kind of exited the conversation of gender is that we just hide in a hole we're so terrified that our culture is going to you know influence in a, influence us in a bad way or i don't know we're unwilling to invite people in and just experience what it looks like to love one another in christ right and because i think too we're we're americans i think the american church because of the puritan influence and a lot of other things is we are a very judgmental culture yeah. as christians we we judge people instead of inviting them in and letting them taste what's good. So so okay, back to that inviting them in. So I was uh yeah the co- the podcast was gospel bound. It's a gospel coalition one. Um and so Blair Lynn was the was the guest with Colin Hansen on there. And so she was she's written a book about not having a father around. Right. And one of the two profound things that she shares that really changed her life were, number one, being invited to live with a Christian family. And so not so much being taught, here's what fathers do, but just experiencing a family that that walked with her. And then the other thing she said she experienced was a church community that ha- was full of mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers. Yeah. And those those were the things she she didn't point to a book you know she wasn't like I read the book on you know manhood and womanhood or something is I experienced a family and I thought that was a, a simple illustration of what you're saying inviting people into something and here here's somebody who years later says I've been changed um, and who knows what points of view might have been had if it hadn't have been for that right right. And it wasn't literature or a talk or a comedy sketch right. for that matter. Right. Which is an interesting thing about, you know, the Dave Chappelle special. I I doubt as we're dealing with in Christianity, the the people who were offended before are more offended now. And the people who agreed before just have a new weapon. Um, and but did it change a heart? Did any heart change? No. I sure don't think so. I didn't feel like it had that kind of power no it might have bolstered people connected that, people yeah who were already already in that position. already there but yeah. it but no change occurred and that's i think the question for us is when we're thinking of the transformative power of the gospel is not how do you rally all the people that already agree to build a wall against x y and z or how do you drive away the people that don't agree already and you know that wasn't Chappelle's stated purpose, but no. But at the same time, I think that's the effect. Well, I think he's a little angry. He's upset that the yeah. African American narrative has been usurped, and that is a problem in our culture. But but he so he expressed it. He said his piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, yeah, did it? Did the people who he was offended with have anything to sit back and go? I'm I'm being transformed. No, no. Though I I do think maybe an unintended and maybe an intended consequence or whatever. I, I mean, a good consequence in the sense is you and I are talking about it. We're pastors, yep. so when people who are leaders of communities say, "Hey, the African American narrative has been usurped," and that's not right, right? That has influence. And yeah, I, I think that's good. I think we have to think about that because nothing, even even. Yeah, I would agree with you that there are there are side causes and effects that can be positive even from a negative thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think what happens 
in the church is that we become very 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 uh the same in a sense so i i was trying to think of the word that that homogenous i guess is the yeah. word and so we don't begin to look at our own communities like mission church within mission church there are people who are marginalized they're not just marginalized in the public and in, in the in the public sphere. They're they're probably even a different set of people who are marginalized in your church sure. because of your church, right? They're not though they're on the outside. Yeah. And what's interesting about the early church, and you see this with widows, is what they said is take the marginalized person, move them to the middle of the church, and then we surround them and function around them, right? Because widows were a big issue in the early church, right. particularly the Greek church, and so, so they they ordained a whole class of servants just for them. Yes, and then they started ordaining those uh, widows. Right, there's a list, an mm-hmm. order of widows who were over sixty. So they're they're in the center. They're the ones that are being cared for. They're being given voice. The question I think we're not used to in our culture, like saying, oh, at Mission, at Village, who, who's actually marginalized? What's the marginal stories? Mm-hmm. What are we called to do to bring those into a place where they're secure and safe? Because if you're on the margins, either emotionally, physically, or financially, or spiritually, you're going to be in a place where you can be taken advantage of. Now, this is a yeah legitimate question here. So I think part of a movement that I sense today is that, and this doesn't seem like something that was there when I was younger. It used to be that you, you tended to kind of want to claim that you were fine. Right. You know, and today it feels more like you want to be part of the marginalized group. Um, and, and, and I, Interesting. I'm serious. Like the idea, there's a lot of speak about like, what about, what about me? And what about, you know, like, and I identify in this way that is very like there's people are are latching on to the idea of being in any oppressed group who never would have been considered so even twenty years ago. Right. And and so that's an interesting so then you're like well, I, deciding I, between oppressed groups is a new challenge. I have I have two thoughts on that. Yeah. One, um, sometimes it's an awakening Right. to the oppression. I, so I I'm, would, I'm actually not trying to argue utterly again. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just yeah. answering. So, no, I so I would say one of the things that over the last year, my wife as a woman has been awakened to in the church is how the removal of power from her and the way that men have basically over the last 40 some odd years of her life discussed what she would do and how she would do it and what uh-huh. the right way to do it is, is very marginalizing and disempowering and has changed the way she thinks about herself. She didn't really realize that. Yeah. So there's that. So so there's a, the awakening to something that was actually there. There. And sure. then I would say that you can never teach and encourage a community to surround the marginalized people within it until you teach people that they are marginalizers. So right. all of us marginalize one another and we oppress. And so you have right. to own your oppression before you can own your being marginalized. Okay. And that's and that's a very key piece. Right, because as a sinner, yeah, a broken person, I will lean towards excluding you and lifting myself up. Right. But and I that- think the beauty of church leadership is that church leadership can look around and say, Oh, these are the widows of our community, everybody. These are the metaphoric or real widows. Let's let us care for them together and let's join in their plight and allow them to serve us and we'll serve them. I was struck along a while back about um, Paul's instructions about real widows. Isn't that an interesting text where he talks about the people whose families should be taking care of them and not the church? Right. Well, he. I preached on it this week. So yeah. yes, he says that if <laughs> if you don't take care of your relatives or at least the people in your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Right. Right. You're you're and, you're not even living. You're not living out your faith. You and and it's your faith. and it's in the context of widows, yes. actually specifically there. Yes. Which actually I've heard aimed at men. It's been aimed at me before. Back when I was planning the church, um, a 
an elder of another church said to me, he said, you know, how much do you make? And I told him, and he said, wow, you know, uh, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And it was like, it was that he used it as a manhood um, yes. scale, which yeah. is interesting. And it often has been. And, well, and, that's, and it's read through a very individualistic. And it's drawn right on out of its context. Yes. But, but that whole, that is interesting because it's like the, there's this idea of, I mean, I, what I hear you doing, you're framing the basic stuff about like sinful nature and self-centeredness and yes. how we treat each other. And you're using the words, you know, oppression and marginalization, which are, are valid mm-hmm. as ways of describing how that works. Um, and then, and then there's this idea of responsibility. So in that text, it's like the, the one most responsible for this is the family mm-hmm. and it shouldn't trickle down. You shouldn't, you know, abdicate that responsibility down to the church if you can do it. Right. And so then it's like whoever's most responsible to solve this marginalization problem should. Yes. Um, and that shouldn't just, that buck shouldn't be passed. Right. And then the the church, the broader community, is there for those who have no safety net. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, you know, he says honor widows who are truly in need. Right. And that's financially take care of the widows who really need it. Yeah. And uh, families take care of the widows. And oh, by the way, all the way down in verse 16, rich women who have widows under them. Yeah. Don't turn them over to the church. And right. In the church. If you've got the money and you have the widows, then you take, take care, care of them. Take care of them. Yeah. Right. So yeah, there's, there's individual familial responsibility, which makes, I mean, this is what is even more frustrating to me is, you know, so for the last 500 years of the Protestant Reformation, how many denominations are there? And how many of us have our parents going to one community right. and our brother at yep. the other community? I mean, I'm this person and I'm in another one. And yep. so taking care, we're not joined together right. to take care of our family. My dad and my brothers don't all live next to me. And yep. we're all one church plus maybe two other neighbors who've come over and our slaves and our servants and our kids. And we all get together or we are the slave and... <laughs> You're talking about more how the ancient household yeah, that's worked. That's how it worked. Yeah. And and now we're so separated. And, and and it's and it's all on you. Everybody has their own retirement account. If mom and dad didn't set one up, that's because they were irresponsible. You're right. not digging into my money. Right. And um <laughs> right. And there's there's but but the same thing. Like, well, they go to they go to that church, that deacon deacon's group isn't taking care of them. They're not gonna come over here and suck ours dry. Right. I yeah. It's tough because there, it's everything is so fragmented and individualistic already that mm-hmm. it's really hard to build things that work the way that the Bible <laughs> described it. And, and and we have to remember that you know the early church. You've got I think it's that the Jewish widows complain or the, the Greek the Greek widows aren't yeah. being taken care of. Well, partly that's an overwhelmed staff, right? The, sure. all the, the the apostles are overwhelmed. Yeah, they were they were probably trying to do it, but and it's a problem. It's a problem, right? Yeah. And it continues to be a problem. And it, human beings are human beings, and it doesn't have to just be widows, yeah, right? It, it, because in those days, a widow was probably in her twenties or thirties. Today, I the average age of a widow is fifty nine, uh-huh. so it's a little bit different. Well, I don't think it has to be just actually I. I was writing my thesis last week, and I did some thinking about deacons within all of that and read read a little bit, and a couple of really incredible things show up. First of all, the there's no reason to believe from the scriptures that deacons should always take care of widows. That just happened to be the problem that they had, sure. and they ordained them to that task. Right. Then secondly, the amazing thing is here you're in a, a primarily Jewish church. Every deacon they ordained was Greek. Right. And so they, or they they had Greek names. So they ordained people of a different ethnicity entirely to take care of the widows of their ethnicity. So the the solution to their problem was very tailored, and and leaned into the new found and newly understood, like you know, diversity of the church, racial diversity of the church. Um, so that's pretty interesting. But I I do think that. That today you look at the problem that needs to be solved. A, a few years ago at our church, and it's actually kind of shifted. There were a few people with 
high amount of specific need and attention. And I really believed that our deacons needed to focus on that. That was the thing that kept creeping in, taking up sure. the time of our uh, of the of the pastors, and it felt very similar. Yeah. And they weren't necessarily widows. Yeah. Um, and actually, today that's a little less the case right now. Sure. So, well, if we shift back to uh, just for a moment to to the actual thing that Chappelle was talking about, I mean, gender dysphoria is a problem in our culture Mm -hmm. and it's a problem in our, in our churches. Mm -hmm. Oh, no doubt. And what we've decided is that, that either, you know, I mean, a, we don't know what to do with it or we need to get our children into therapy, which I'm not saying therapy is bad, but we really, (laughs) we don't have any answer for it as Christians and followers of Jesus. We don't know what to say to our kids. We don't know how to begin to walk alongside kids who are wrestling because it's mostly kids right now yeah i've i've noticed this in in the private school world that abby's in is that yeah there's there's a lot of kids wrestling with it and the the schools don't have they they're not clear at all on how to deal with it oh yeah and i mean it's kind of being treated similar to like cussing yes (laughs) it's like uh just don't say that word right yeah well i think so so what does that mean well it means that we just have to get messy. We have to stop giving answers to everything and, and telling people over and over again that this is the right way and this is how we have to understand things. Yes, we do need to talk about those things, but no, like relationship matters. Mm-hmm. Walking through things, listening to pain, but also begin to understand that the over-sexualization of our culture over the last 30 years is destroying our children. Yeah. We are now reaping the results where our children are either asexual because it's terrifying. Sexuality is terrifying to them or they're struggling with their gender because they can't find any footing and they look at their parents and they're like, you guys, you're, you don't understand your gender. You're, you, you're not giving me anything to stand on. A lot of the, a lot of the kids I've noticed, the struggle begins around the same time that they get their first iPad or smartphone within that year. Um, interestingly, cause they're sure. taking in a lot of media. That's usually the parents don't have any grasp about. Yeah. Um, then the, and I'm not saying I have all this figured out cause I do think that kids are going to have to use like media. And so you can't just keep them under a rock and we've, debated how how much of that to do um and then the other the other piece i was thinking of i read james k A. smith's book on education a while back and his theory on um kind of you know teaching somebody what to worship through education was less he was pushing back on the worldview teacher mm-hmm. idea that that you just teach the worldview and right. he was saying it doesn't work you need to teach the liturgy you need to teach the the movements and the habits of faith, not mm-hmm. just the worldview. And if you were to push that over into the the gender conversation, it would be inviting people in to experience like healthy relationships and gender rather than just giving them facts. Um, and and I think that communities, churches could be very well equipped to do that. Uh, I, you know, I don't know personally that I see schools, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on what schools ought to be, you know, doing. Um, well, I mean, okay. So you're talking about Christian schools, especially yeah, schools that ascribe to statements of faith. Like I don't, their role isn't to be secondary week long churches. Right. And some of them do behave as such. Sure. And that's, but they don't have creeds. They don't have ways of discipleship they're they're there to teach math and science right um and so i think they get that kind of conflated yeah well i think there there are a couple things one parental involvement yeah i think and and i might get myself in trouble for this oh boy but here we go a lot less of reading your bible a lot less memorizing scripture with your kids a lot less uh 
trying to make sure your kids know the way to salvation by the time they're seven and a lot more talking about real life mm. from little processing yeah. their experiences and using context to teach them about scripture, not decontextualizing things. And so what, what I hear, what I hear you saying in this is not a devaluing of the Bible or anything like no. that. I, I hear you saying rather than just to think that to read Bible verses or just have a Bible time together to think that that is discipling your kids in life as a Christian is is a a gross understatement like or a or underestimation of what that requires Whoa. like you would need to work out real life having absorbed the truths of God's word and the spirit yourself and right. transmitting it that way well here here's a, a... Is that, am I on to, Yes, I think I you're on, and I, I want to okay. tag on to what you were saying yeah. earlier about liturgy and creeds. Because honestly, I would rather have my kid at 17 years old not be able to explain to me really how you become a Christian, but tell me how deeply they love their church, be able to mm -hmm. recite the creeds, and to know contextually what the church values. Because then they are already following Jesus and they understand the complexity of a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And they will get to the point where they can articulate maybe the road into the kingdom in a very simple and practical way as they are able to actually understand that in a more mature way. Sure. And I, because I think the habits of church and the communal habits of church change people because yes kids who grow up in it because kids are seeing mom and dad interact and if it's communal they're seeing the trials work themselves out they're seeing yeah. it all practiced yeah. and they're seeing it in the proclamations and they're seeing it in the singing and they're seeing it in the sermon and they're they're seeing that they have a part yeah even if they don't even if it's just like schooled in the sense that we'll have to be here because mom and dad are here i'm still i'm doing it i'm a part and I think that's where the, the village and mission and other churches like this are built heavily in. They don't look like high church liturgy, but they're built in liturgy in the sense that they, they eat together. Right. They take communion every week together. They proclaim the word together. They speak creeds together. They spend time sitting across from each other after service and talking to each other. They run after children. But maybe they don't have a wanna. And maybe they don't have a vacation Bible school. And maybe they don't have these very well laid out curriculums for the children. Right. Because the people and their relationship with Jesus are the curriculum. I I am and that, sold on that. Yeah. And it's and I, I wanna and I wanna do more of that in yeah. our church. Yeah. And I don't think it, I mean that's not a guarantee that when you're if your child grows up in that church that right. they're gonna walk away with Jesus, but I guarantee you Jesus will in their mind and heart, Jesus will never leave. Yeah. Not that he leaves but there's something very tangible because that church is a place they can always come back to yeah. and they know they have a place. And it's built in. I, I've um, I've actually been really surprised in the last year to notice how much our daughter like believes in what our church does. Right. And I've we visited a couple other churches when we were out of town and she was just like didn't understand. Yeah. Um, and that was – but in that, in exploring that, it was because – they didn't take the Lord's Supper even. Right. And they don't even eat. They just leave. And <laughs> there's like, a liturgical thing that she doesn't understand. She, yeah, those yeah. but those are parts of the liturgy. That's yes. the work of the people, right? Yeah. And 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 she's come to see like these are these are important. These shape me. And uh and that's that's been cool. Um, you know, she's I guess one of the of all the people in our church, she has spent more formative years in it. Yeah. than any of the rest of us. Right. And I think, you know, so so when I was a kid, apologetics were a big deal. Right. So yes. what happened was, you know, the, the there was the Creation Institute, which still exists, yeah. and it's big. But but it was more prominent in the, in the yeah. forefront, and there were conferences and all this kind of stuff. And so we were trying to have this argument with evolution, right? Yeah. And, and that was the center, and we didn't want, and worldview, understanding your worldview and right. how it influenced, that was a huge deal. But what I think happened was what we should have been doing is having a much more come and see experience yeah. of like, oh, you are, you understand, you know, creation and the world through science. 
come and meet the creator. Right. Not there's a six day creation and, and the Bible. To, no, just come meet the creator. And I think the message that we need to be as have now is not God created man and woman, you know, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. not Steve and Steve or not a fluid, right. you know, Steve and Betty and one person. We're not having that. So having that conversation and trying to explain how gender and, is and, fixed and differentiate between us and them. And, yeah, yeah. Saying, come and meet the one who created you. Yeah. That's all. Come meet the person who created you. And see, what, and get, see what happens. See what happens. See what he's like. Yeah. Because your gender and what it is, that doesn't it doesn't matter as much as knowing the one who created you. Well, think about how many, you know, and this is just to Christians out there, think about how many of your disordered, um, you know, cares and desires, you know, still persist right. as a Christian, that Jesus is chipping away at day by day. Right. By, and it's happening because you're in his presence and you're with his people. Um, wouldn't the same be true of gender dysphoria? Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it would change if our people were much more either come and see, and not the come and see, come and see, go to my church, come and see, right. come and see me. Yeah, walk with me. Walk yeah. with me, come, come listen. You know, I mean, I was talking to my daughter this morning, and we were talking about one of her friends, and I said, hey, you know, you just need to sit down with this person and say, hey, can I can I read scripture with you and pray over you? I know you're having a hard time, and I know that you're interested in God, so can we just, can I do that for you? Because I know you're not in a good place. That's, yeah. that is, you know, that's her saying, you come, come see the creator. Let, let him sort things out yeah. for you with me. Um, we don't no. That's the answer to transgenderism. That's the answer to almost anything. Yeah. But that means that you and I have to live in a very full liturgical life in the sense of life full of practice with Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, a full, like it's, I can't say to anyone, come see how I love my wife if I never do anything with my wife, right? right. <laughs> if I never care about her, never go on a date, never serve her, never home to see her. She's mm-hmm. not really my wife outside of the law. Right. And there's no relationship. It's the same. Like we we need people in this constant relationship with God and an understanding that everyone around them, it's like, come, come see, come yeah. see what this is like. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And it's really easy for us people, for us to say, ah, and that's my burden. I need to, I need to take the burden that that person has and put it on me and hope that they'll find Jesus instead of just being like, no, Jesus is burden. He'll take your burden. I don't need to take it. Just come see what he does with us. Yeah. You know, the burden's light. Your gender doesn't have to burden you. Yeah. Anyway, I could get preaching real fast. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So, well, Eric, thanks, man. Good to yeah, see you. It's good to see you. Oh, it's what we should say. Oh, or we can say at the beginning. We'll say at the beginning. Yeah. Well, let's just say for now, um, hey, thanks for joining us. And, and Merry if, Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas. And you can always reach out to us at faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com. And uh, if you're in a really great mood right now um, and you want to go give us a review, that'd be amazing because that, you know, helps people find us which is why we're able to afford these amazing jackets. <laughs> one that I've been wearing for like four years. Yeah, I bought this one at a thrift store like three or four years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks. Okay. You've been listening to Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. Please share us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.